You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Hello, friends. Welcome. So glad you could join us today. Before we get started into the message, I just want to encourage you that we entered our 21 days of prayer and fasting as a church. And if you're not quite sure what that's all about, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message or watch. You can also find all the information online. Basically taking the first part of our year and spending some time in prayer and fasting, dedicating it to God and saying, Lord, we need you in this year. Now we do this every year, and I especially believe this is true this year. And something that we're doing and challenging every person is to have three prayer declarations, basically three things that you're praying and believing God, standing on his word for this year. Maybe something for your family, for your finances, your health, for a job. I don't know what the situation is, but something that you're believing God to show up in your life in some way this year. Now, I'm doing something a little differently personally myself for 21 days of prayer. I have this little notebook that has little note cards in it, and I'm writing down all of my personal prayer declarations, the ones for tree line in here, and just all the things that I'm praying through this year for the three weeks that we're praying and fasting. And I just want to let you know, if there's something that I can be praying for you about, I would love to be praying for you and your family. So if there's something I could be putting in this little notebook and praying each day as I go before the Lord, please let me know. Reach out, send me a message, get in contact with me. Let me know how I can be praying for you. I love to lift up your needs to the um, to God as I'm praying um, and just be praying for us as a church family as well. So I just want to encourage you with that. Now this week's going to look a little bit different. I know last week we kicked off a brand new series and I was really excited about that and we're going to get back to it. But I just really felt today that it was important to kind of pause on that series and talk about some stuff that's been happening here lately. This week was really tough. Matter of fact, it was really heavy. And I felt that it was really appropriate for us to kind of pause where we were at and address this and talk about it. And as your pastor, unpack some of this. And it was a very difficult thing. And honestly, coming out of 2020, it was a really challenging year. And it's starting to feel like 2021 is kind of like that pot of boiling water that you don't watch and it begins to boil over. It's kind of starting to feel like that in this year. That things are starting to boil over. That tempers are high, that anger is up, that people are, are, are fearful, they're scared, they're resentful, they're hopeless, and even a high level of apathy and people checking out or uncertainty, just not knowing what to do. There's a whole range of emotions and almost like being put in a pressure cooker with everything that's happened in this last year and being an election year and the social unrest and dealing with a global pandemic and all the isolation that that's caused. And this has been a really tough week. And honestly, even for me personally, this has been kind of heavy. And I I don't know how this has affected you if you've taken this in stride if you're you're feeling this but I've really felt this this week and I just want to let you know that if you have been discouraged you've been overwhelmed or sad or just even confused or fearful whatever that emotion has been or even upset or set and angry and enraged I, I don't know how it's affected you I just really want to take a moment and talk about this that the events that we saw unfold in our capital were so heartbreaking heart-wrenching to see people lose their lives and the division and the hatred and the anger and the confusion that's taken place. And, and I want to, from the onset, say this today, that this isn't a political message. This isn't, uh, we're not here to point fingers or, or place blame or say whose fault this is. But what happened was real and what happened was sad and it was devastating. And, and a lot of times when something like this happens, we begin to ask the question, how did we get here? 
basically asking the question, whose fault is this? Who who is to blame? And, and many times in a situation like this, it, it just starts with the playing the they or the them game, that it's that it's them, that it's they, those people, that it's someone else, and maybe it's government or politicians or someone who has a different political persuasion than you, or um, maybe it's because of social media or other people who think differently, and we want to point the finger, we want to assign the blame, and, and honestly, friends, and, and all of this, with everything that's going on, I don't know who is to blame, and honestly, I don't want to get into that and unpack any of that today. But what I want to talk is about, ask the question, is this. How do we move on from here? How do we move on from here? And as a, as a pastor, I'm not a political guy. I'm not a politician. All of those things. I, I can't unpack and help us understand all of those things. I'm not a, a journalist. I'm not investigating all of it. But I am a pastor. And as a pastor, my, my job, my goal, my calling is to shepherd people and shepherd people's hearts. And so when we ask this question, how do we move on from here? This is the main question that I want to get to. What is our response as followers of Jesus. What is our response? As we see this going on, as we face this turmoil, as we see this unrest, as we see the division and the hatred and the anger and the hopelessness, what, what is our response? If we have said yes to following after Jesus, if we've surrendered our life to him and we're no longer living for ourselves, but we're following after him, what is our response in all of this? You're like, man, Ryan, that could get kind of complicated. And maybe at surface level it might seem that way, but I think if we dig a little deeper, we'll find that it's not so complicated. See, as we've been going through all of this, and even as a pastor, seeing other people respond and seeing other pastors and Christ followers respond, it's, it's been all over the place. There's been a lot of hopeful and encouraging and people putting things out that are hopeful and prayer-filled and, and, and just encouraging us. And then there's been the other side that's been not so encouraging and not so loving in the response, even coming from people who claim to be followers of Jesus. So then the question then I ask is, what is our response as followers of Jesus and even seeing other pastors offer prayer and seeing them offer times of prayer on social media and seeing people comment back that prayer is not enough, that the action needs to be taken now and that we can't just simply have these empty platitudes of prayer and praying for our nation and for our leaders. And, and honestly, friends, I, I don't think it's just simply about an empty platitude or an empty notion of prayer. I think it's more about a posture that we take. That yes, there is a time for action. Make no doubt about it. There is a time for action. But the time for action comes after we pray. Think about it this way. If your family was hungry and you needed to provide for them, you would pray about God providing for your family. Then you would take some action and go get a job and find a way to provide for them. If your marriage was going through a difficult spot, you would pray for God to intervene and heal your marriage. But then you would have to take some action and, and search your heart, maybe get some counseling and do some things to maybe help that marriage heal. So there is a time for action, but it must be birthed in prayer and it must be saturated in God's spirit. And don't miss this. It must come from following the example of Jesus. It's not doing it in our own way. It's not just seeking it and trying to make it happen. It's doing it by the example that Jesus has set for us. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. Because you are his dear children, live life filled with love, following the example of Christ. 
See, we're encouraged here that as followers of Jesus, we are supposed to imitate God. How? In everything that we do. That we're supposed to follow the example that Jesus has set for you. Like, well, Brian, that's a really high bar. Oh, I think that's the point. That as a Christian, someone who is Christ-like, someone who is following after Jesus, we're supposed to imitate him. And that Jesus is ultimately pointing us to his Father, helping us live like him, to model ourselves after Christ. See, any actions that we take, no matter how well-intended they are or how well-meaning our intentions are, maybe we've got to understand that in the midst of whatever we're doing, we've got to follow God and Jesus. No matter if it's something for social justice, no matter it's helping the oppressed, the oppressed are dealing with things with the pandemic, or it's our words, our social media posts, or even our thoughts and actions, they all must be done in love. They must all be done in love. Take a look what the author says in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, If I had the gifts of being able to speak in other languages without learning them and could speak in every language there is in all of heaven and earth, but I didn't love others, I would only be making noise. If I had the gift of prophecy and knew all about what's going to happen in the future, knew everything about everything, but didn't love others, what good would it do? Even if I had the gift of faith so I could speak to a mountain and make it move, I would still be worth nothing at all without love. If I gave everything I had to the poor people and I would burned alive for preaching the gospel but didn't love others, it would be of no value whatever. See, friends, without love, it doesn't matter how well-meaning our intentions are, how much we're trying to do good or do right in our thoughts or actions. Without love, it doesn't make a difference. The actions void of love, even well-meaning actions, they fall flat and they mean nothing. It's worthless. Why? Why is this so important? Because God cares about motives. God cares about motives and the condition of our heart and the actions that we're taking and the things that we're trying to do, even to bring good things, to do good things in this world, must fall through the filter of love and doing it in response of following after God and modeling ourselves after Jesus. So why is this so important? What's the big deal? Brian, what's, what's the big deal? Why is our response as Jesus followers so important? Well, first... 2 Corinthians 2.5 tells us this, and we talked about this recently, that we are Christ's ambassadors. What does that mean? An ambassador is someone who is representing someone else or another organization or a government or a body. They are a representation. They are not representing their own needs. They're not representing their own desires. They are representing someone else. And God told us that we are his ambassadors from heaven, that he has sent us into this earth to proclaim the good news and the gospel of Jesus and that God loves people, that he has a plan for them, that he created them, that he wants relationship with them, and he achieves this by sending us, his ambassadors, into this world. So we've got to understand that this is important, that our response as Jesus followers is so paramount because we are his ambassadors. That we're not simply doing things for ourselves, but we're doing it as a representation of Jesus. That we are his hands and feet in this world. The second reason this is so important is that we have the same mission as Jesus. 
Earlier I said as Christ followers, he's getting a Christian, someone who's a little Christ or someone who is becoming like Christ or following after the, the role, that the example that he set for us. And as we follow his example that he showed us, we also have his same mission. The mission that he came here on the earth to accomplish his father's will. Matter of fact, at the end of Jesus' life, he was going through a really difficult decision. He knew the Father's plan for him, that he had to go die a brutal death on a cross to become the Savior of the world, to fulfill his purpose that the Father had for him. And as he's there at the end, praying through this, just an absolute torment and knowing the agony of the decision that he has to make, he says something unimaginable. He says, God, if there's any way that this can pass before me, let it do so. But in the end, not my will, but your will be done. See, Jesus knew something, that he was not living for his own wills and desires, that he was living for the Father. And the same thing is true for us as Christ followers, that we are not living for our mission or our desires, but we have come for the same mission as Jesus. And friends, Jesus did not come to this earth to establish an earthly kingdom. He did not come here to establish a country or a nation that has borders within our physical world, that he came to establish God's kingdom. We see this over and over in scripture. Matter of fact, one time in Matthew 22, some of the religious leaders were trying to trip Jesus up. They didn't like him. They didn't like what he was doing. They didn't like his message. Something about showing up and claiming to be son of God and healing people and doing all these miracles and breaking all the rules at that time. And so some religious leaders, they're trying to trip him up so they could get him arrested. And so they know that they live under an oppressed government. Think about this. They're living under the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus. And they were an oppressive government. It was a terrible thing. It was not enjoyable to be living under the thumb of the Roman Empire at that time. And so the people of God, they weren't really thrilled about having to do that. And so here shows up Jesus and they think he's going to save the day. Here comes Jesus, the son of God, the savior, the Messiah. He's going to deliver us from these Roman oppressors. He's going to come in here with all these military might. And he's going to smack them all down and show them what's up. But this is not what Jesus did. This is not what he was all about. He constantly was having to tell his followers and other religious leaders that he was not here to be an earthly king, even though they tried to keep putting him up on that pedestal, even his closest follower. He's like, guys, I'm not here to establish my kingdom. I'm here to establish God's kingdom. And in Matthew 22, we see this with these religious leaders trying to catch, get him, catch him in a lie or catch him in something that they can hold against him at the Roman government. And they, and they say, hey, the law says that we're supposed to pay taxes. You think taxes are still a bummer now. They were still having trouble with taxes all the way back in Jesus' time. And so they say they're trying to trip him up and get him to say, no, it's not a big deal. But here's what he says. He's like, oh, you want to know if you should pay taxes? Give me that coin over there. Whose face, whose image is on that coin? And they're like Caesar. And Jesus tells them, well, you should give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And they go away disappointed because they didn't trick him. He's like, guys, it's not about building an earthly kingdom. And we even see this at the end of his life when he's on trial before Pilate in, in John 18. And he asks him, are, are you an earthly king? Are you the king of the Jews? Have you come to establish your kingdom? And he has to even assure him as he's about to be prosecuted and be put to brutal death on a cross, to be beaten, to be betrayed. And Jesus says, I'm not an earthly king. I did not come. I am not of this kingdom. I am of my father's kingdom. See, Jesus was constantly having to reject this idea and this notion that he was here to establish an earthly kingdom. This is something that we've got to understand is that God did not come and Jesus did not come to establish our nation or our country. Now, I want to pause here. 
It's a wonderful thing to have patriotism. It's a wonderful thing to be proud of your country and nation, whether that's the United States, whether that's England, whether that's China, whether that's Australia, I don't know what it is, whatever nation that you are part of, whatever you are proud to be from, have that pride, have that civic pride. Be proud that you are from Pittsburgh. Be a Yinzer, go black and gold. Come on, somebody. There's nothing wrong with that. We should honor the people who serve in our nation. We should honor those who have given their lives. We should honor those who even serve serve civically and go before us and lead us. Yes, do all of those things. Fly the flag. I've got a flag hanging outside of my house right now. Friends, there's nothing wrong with being a patriot and loving our nation to vote and vote righteously, be involved, get involved, do all of those things. The problem comes is when we begin to reverse the order of things and we begin to put our own kingdom, our own nation before God's when God has clearly spelled out and Jesus has set the example for us that our allegiance is ultimately not to a nation, not to a politician, but instead to our heavenly father and his kingdom. And this is the only thing that we can anchor our hope and our foundation in because nations will come and go and this world will fade, but the kingdom of God will last forever. And this is where we should have our hope and our mission is the same as Jesus. We're to put him first, put his kingdom first. So if we unpack this today, I have four quick things, four quick actions I want to give you. Four things that we unpack and be able to do this and say, okay, I hear you. What is my response? And I hear what you're saying, but now what are some things that I can begin to do as I respond to what's happening in our nation and our world today? Well, the first one is this, and it's really simple. It's start with me. Start with me. Take a look at what Psalm 139, 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test my thoughts. Point out anything you find in me that makes you sad and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Friends, you want to pray a dangerous prayer? Start praying Psalm 139 right there. God, search my heart. And see, in everything else going on, it's so easy to point the finger. It's so easy to say it's the they or the them and everyone else is the problem. And I'm not saying that other people don't need to get some stuff right and that there aren't some other people who need a straight up come to Jesus meeting and it's time to get your life right and stop acting a fool. I'm not saying that, but you can't control everyone else's actions. Actions. We can't control other people's thoughts and worldview, but we can control our own. And so the first thing is so important. We've got to start with me. It's like being an armchair quarterback. You ever watch sports with someone who's like making all the calls from as a guy furthest from the field. And the whole time, this guy is screaming his head off at Ben Roethlisberger, the quarterback, telling him all the plays and the mistakes he's doing and what he should be doing as if this guy can hear him all the way, all the way down there. And it feels like that's what's going on in our world, that people, instead of engaging and dealing with themselves, everyone's just screaming at everyone else about what is wrong and who is broken and what is not right in the world instead of starting with ourselves. Friends, we've got to start with us. And even this week, even in my prayer time, I pray this prayer and I'm like, God, search my heart. Start with me. What are the incorrect attitudes I've had? How have I disrespected others? How have I treated others who I disagree with politically or ideologically? God, start with my heart. How do I treat those people that I see and hear them and the actions that they do and the things that they disagree with or the political leaders that I don't understand or believe in? God, start with me. Search my heart. Help me to truly follow after you. 
So the first one is start with me. The second one is start with prayer. Friends, there is no doubt that our world is broken. There's no doubt our nation is broken. We've been on a track where things have not been going well, and the tension is only rise. It's boiling over this year. Tensions were just so intense even over this last year. The pandemic has helped nothing with this on top of an election year, and there's just so much craziness. We could talk about any different direction of the craziness that's going on in our nation. It goes without saying that our nation needs healing, that it is broken. And friends, the most important thing that we can do is prayer. Matter of fact, Jesus reminds us, not Jesus, in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles, God reminds us this. He says, then if my people will humble themselves and pray and search for me and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. Honestly, friends, in my prayer time, I, I keep coming back to this verse and being reminded that in all the action and all the things that we want to do, and yes, there is that time for action, but I'm reminded of this word and this prayer declaration that we can stand on that God said, Lord, start with me and start in prayer, that we can't fix it in all our own. Look, you can't have the laws that are going to legislate the hearts of men. Men's hearts are going to be dark and evil, no matter what the laws are that are put on the books. We need an intervention from God. We need his spirit to intervene in our nation. We need some people who are going to be passionate about prayer and seeking God and and calling out and interceding, saying, God, we're broken. This is messed up. We need you. Lord, heal us. Forgive us. Help us to get better. Help us to move on from this. See, it starts with us in prayer. And yes, there is a time for action, but it comes after prayer and making sure that our heart is right before God. So we've got to start with us, and then we've got to start with prayer. And the third one is we've got to start with unity. Friends, the level of division has been off the charts. Statistically, our nation has become more and more polarized. The division has only grown deeper. The amount of civility, even in our politicians' world, and even within the church and people who say that they are Christ followers, it is almost non-existent. That people are, are willing to be right at any cost. It doesn't matter who you have to run over. It doesn't matter who you have to scream at. It doesn't matter who you have to cancel. It doesn't matter the cost of what it is to be right. People just want to be right, and it's caused such a deep divide in our land. We need healing from this division. And division in our nation is actually a really bad thing. And we see this in Mark 3, 25. Jesus says, a home filled with strife and division destroys itself. And it sounds familiar to you. It might be because one of our most famous presents, one of the most tumultuous times in our nation's history, when division was at an all-time high, the Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln gave a speech, a house divided itself cannot stand. And Abe himself, being a follower of Jesus, borrowed these words of Jesus to take it out to the nation, knowing that a nation divided against itself cannot stand. So we've got to start with unity. Friends, can I say this to you today? It's okay for people to have different beliefs. It's okay for people to have different, to have grievances and say, I don't agree with that. I don't believe in that. I think differently. I have different ideology, whatever it is. There's different solutions to the problems that we have, that we can all bring those to the table, and that it's okay to be different. 
See, unity is finding out that there is more that brings us together than that divides us. And that we love our nation and that we love our freedoms and we love the things that we have the opportunity to achieve. There are so many people all over the world that would trade places with you in a second to live in a nation as wealthy and as with much advancement and options and freedoms that we have here. Even with all of its problems, even with all of its warts, even with all the difficulties and the mask coming off and all of the ugliness, this is still an amazing place to be and live. Friends, and the division that we face is so dangerous. The division that we face can bring us down and this is why we've got to seek unity and catch this. We have got to seek unity more than we seek being right. Because if the price of being right brings us division and makes us fall apart, then there was no price worth paying that. Friends, unity is more important. We've got to start with me. We've got to start with prayer and we've got to start with unity. And this last one is we've got to start with love. This most importantly of all, that John 3.16, one of the most famous quoted scriptures, the one we know so much, and maybe you've never heard it before, but so foundational to the Christian faith. It says, for God so loved the world. He so loved the world in its brokenness, in its ugliness, in all of its failures, in all of its faults, in its total rejection of him, that he so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only son, he gave Jesus. Why? So that whoever believes in him, whoever surrendered their life to him, would be able to have everlasting life, be able to have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And that this love that he has given us is now the love that he is asking us as his followers to show to the world. 1 John 4.19 says, So you see our love for him comes as a result of his, of his loving us first. Pause there for a moment. See, when we talk about loving other people, it'd be really easy to love people who are lovable. But I have to go back and remind you that when Jesus loved us, it was before we even accepted him. Before you said yes to relationship with Jesus, he loved you. And that before he, he didn't even know if you would choose to accept him, he sent his son anyway. And so it's easy to say, well, I don't know if I can love people who are difficult to love. Well, Jesus did it first. And this reminds us the result of him loving us first. If anyone says, I love God, but keeps on hating his brother, he is a liar. For if he doesn't love his brother who is right there in front of him, how can he love God whom he has never seen? And God himself has said that, no, that one must love not only God, but his brother too. See, friends, we, we can't claim to be following after Jesus. We can't claim to be following and surrendering our life for God if we don't love other people. We can't say, well, I love God and I love Jesus and I want to worship them, but those people, I can't stand them and I hate them. See, that there is no room for that in following after Jesus. And this is so important that we understand this, that as a follower, follower of Jesus, love is not optional. 
and we can't love when it's only convenient. Because matter of fact, if love is convenient, it was never love in the first place. Because love will cost you something. I don't care if it's loving a spouse, loving a child, or loving something else. Love always has a steep price to it because it causes us to have to sacrifice something, to give up something of ourself or something that we want or need. Love requires sacrifice. And we can't love to the point of just when it's convenient. But friends, if you are truly following after Jesus, you must love to the point of inconvenience. There will be times where you won't feel like loving others, but you will have to make the choice that I'm going to love them. Why? Because God first loved me. And because he loved me, I can love others. See, friends, the way that we think and speak about those we disagree with speaks volumes about our willingness to follow and surrender our life to Jesus. That we must love others. Jesus went even as far as to love your enemies. To love your enemies. Like, Jesus, are you kidding me? You would love everyone. Can I just love the people who are nice? That would be really convenient. But no, he's like, love your enemies. Matter of fact, if someone takes a shot at you, let them turn the other cheek and let them take another swipe at you. That wouldn't really fly too well in our culture anymore. You'd probably get canceled for saying such a thing, matter of fact. But we've got to love others. That Jesus gave us the great commission to go into the world and create disciples, to share the good news of the gospel of who he is, that God loves his creation. And friends, don't miss this. The people that we disagree with, the people who aren't so lovable to us, matter of fact, the people who are flat out hostile to us and our beliefs, that God created them, that he loves them just as much as he loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus, to die for them and wants relationship with him just as he did for every other person who has said yes to relationship with Jesus. So where do we start? How do we change our nation? How do we, to go back to the beginning of this talk, how do we move on from here? Well, friends, it starts with us. It starts with us in prayer and in unity and in love. We've got to start with me. Instead of pointing that finger everywhere else, turn it on the inside. God, start with me. I can't control the actions of everyone else. I can't control their thoughts or beliefs, but I can start with me. Lord, help me to be a good contributor. Help me to love like you did. Help me to be reminded that people will know that I am your follower by the way that I love. Start with me. Help us to pray for our nation. Spend time in your 21 days of prayer. Put on your prayer journal, prayer chart, whatever it is. Be lifting up our leaders no matter who they are. Pray for our nation to succeed. Pray for godly leaders to be influenced by God. Pray for those in the power and authority. Pray for others, even people you disagree with. That we've got to seek unity even over being right. We've got to come together on the things that we do agree with. That we can celebrate the things that we do love and that we cherish together. And most of all, that we've got to come in love. See, friends, as we wrap up today, I want to share one little passage of scripture from you and ask this question, where is our hope? See, even as we face this turmoil and it brings so much uncertainty, and even as we talk about is our hope in a nation or a political leader, our hope as Christ followers is in Jesus. It is in God alone that we place our hope and our faith in. And there's someone in the New Testament named Paul. And he wrote a lot of the New Testament. A lot of the scripture that you read, Paul wrote it in the New Testament, a lot of it. 
and he went through incredible difficulties. This guy traveled the known world, spreading the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And you know what his reward was? Well, at least here on earth, he was shipwrecked a few times. He was in prison. He was beaten. He got bit by a snake. He had all kinds of terrible misfortunes happen to him, being persecuted for sharing the gospel and the good news of Jesus. But check out the words that he says as we wrap up today in 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 8, says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed and broken. We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get back up again and keep going. These bodies of ours are constantly facing death, just as Jesus did. So it is clear to all that it is the only living Christ within who keeps us safe. Yes, we live under constant danger to our lives because we serve the Lord. But this gives us constant opportunity to show forth the power of Jesus Christ within our dying bodies. Because of our preaching, we face death, but it resulted in eternal life for you. We boldly say that we believe, trusting God to care for us, just as the psalm writer did when he said, I believe and therefore I speak. We know that the same God who brought the Lord Jesus back from death will also bring us back to life again with Jesus and present us to along with you. These sufferings are the, of ours are for your benefit. And the more of you who are one to Christ, the more there are to thank him for his great kindness and the more the Lord is glorified. And then verse 16, I love this. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our inner strength, the Lord is growing every day. These troubles and sufferings of, of ours are after all quite small and won't last very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and forever. So we do not look at what we can see right now, the troubles all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven, which have not yet been seen. The troubles will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. I know that was a really long passage of scripture, but friends, I want to encourage you with that today. To seeing the circumstances that they, he faced, the difficulties that they went through, recognizing that we too in this life, matter of fact, Jesus himself told us that in this world, you're going to have trouble. That's why it's so important that we understand that as Christ followers, our hope is not anchored and tethered to this world, to a nation, to a political leader, to an ideology or a belief system, but it is only in Christ alone. And it's so important that we understand as Christ followers, our response in all of this is to start with us, start in prayer, in unity, and in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray God, I just pray for the divide in this nation and the hurt in our land. God, I ask that you would truly bring healing and restoration. And God, I pray that you would start with us. Lord, give us the boldness to pray that prayer of the psalmist, to search our heart. God, give us the audacity and boldness to pray that and truly take it to heart and begin to improve on those things where we ourselves have fallen short. God, I pray that we would take our prayer life seriously. God, that we would bring our nation, our leaders before you, that we would pray and seek your guidance and your will to be done. God, I pray that we would be people of unity, that we would be people who come together and love others who think and believe differently than us. God, I pray most of all that we would be people 
who are known and marked by love. God reminded that you yourself said that they would know that we are your followers by the way that we love one another, loving our brothers and sisters in Christ, taking care of the poor and the widow and the orphan and the outcast and the downtrodden and and those in need. God, I pray that this would be the hallmark of our following after you, Jesus. God, I thank you in the midst of a troubling week, of a difficult week. I'm reminded and find comfort in this passage as Paul wrote it out in his letter to the Corinthians. God, with everything going on, that the circumstances and the situation and everything that we face is nothing compared to the joys that await us from being in relationship with you. God, I thank you and I give you praise. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Friends, thank you so much for joining. And I know this is probably a little bit of a challenging message. I I hope it was because I know for me personally, it's incredibly challenging. I know in the midst of everything going on, it can be kind of difficult to talk about these things. I thought it was so important to pause where we were and to address this and to talk about this. I hope this ministered to you and blessed you and and really challenged you. And I look forward to hear what God's doing in your life. And don't hesitate to reach out. Let us know how we can be praying for you, coming alongside of you during this season of 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. Friends, we love you. We're here for you. And we look forward to seeing you, connecting with you again real soon. Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.